Hi, listeners. Welcome to the Grief Out Loud podcast produced by the Dougie Center for Grieving Children. I'm Jana DeCristofero and wanted to give you just a little heads up as you listen to this episode, you'll be hearing references to our old name, which was Dear Dougie. So just so you don't get too confused, you're listening to the right podcast and we look forward to bringing you even more great content under the Grief Out Loud name. Thanks for joining us. So today we thought we would start off with talking about something that so many people who come to the Dougie Center, they're in the midst of devastating heartbreak. And so often they say, how long is this going to take? When am I going to feel better? What's the recipe? What's the menu? How do I get through this? So we wanted to talk a little bit today about what what that means and about the fact that grief doesn't work on a timeline as much as people might want it to have designated steps that they can check off like they would check off a to-do list yeah i i you know i had a friend in college whose father was dying and this is back in 80 something 80 late 80s and i remember she found a book uh and it was something about steps of grief or something like that does that sound familiar to you I'm guessing it was probably around the the five stages of grief. Yes, that's it. And she found some comfort in that, but she all I mean, it also seemed to not be awesome in some ways because she, it seemed like she felt like she needed to follow a pattern and she wasn't following a pattern. Right, like there was some right way to do it. Yeah, yeah, and it wasn't happening that way for her, and it, and so then she felt like she was doing it wrong, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Adding on, like feeling bad about how she's grieving on top of the fact that there's just the sadness and all the other emotions that come with the fact that her her father's dying. Yeah. Yeah. Do you run into that in groups a lot? Um, in groups and also out in the community. You know, the stages of grief came out of some really amazing research done by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, where she was working with people who were dying and having conversations with them and discovering what was the process like for them. And so from that, she published a book on death and dying, it was called, and it was published in 1969. And she developed her five stages of grief, the bargaining, acceptance, anger, depression, I think acceptance. See, I've moved away from them so much, I can't even remember the order they go in. <laughs> yeah. And from what I see of people who come into my groups and they say, I feel terrible. How do I feel better? Tell me how to do this. And so there's the external where we live in a culture of if you do the steps, you will achieve a particular outcome. And then there's the internal experience of someone who's grieving where everything they knew to be true has been thrown into turmoil. It's a chaotic experience. It's an unpredictable experience. And so it makes sense of wanting to have some sort of parameters in order to put some containment around what can be such a terrifying and unsettling emotional experience. Yeah. So what do you, what do you tell, what do you do? What do you tell people those, you know, is there a myth of the first year or the myth of the second year or any of that kind of stuff? Well, so often in groups, someone new will come in and say their death has happened just in the last few weeks or the last month. And they're coming into a group of people who have been there for varying lengths of time. So I think there's this real hearkening back for the people who have been in group for a long time to remember like, oh yeah, I remember that from the first couple of days, the first couple of weeks of like, when is going to get back to normal? When am I going to feel the way I used to? And then there's this like welcome and it, it gets different, but we can't tell you exactly when you're going to feel normal and you may not feel like yourself 
ever again in the sense that you may not go back to the person you were before the person died in your life. And that here's all the ways that our lives are continuing and we're changing and growing yeah. with the reality of that loss. Well, that's a major inflection point for people, right? I mean, it's a, a major point in their life where um, you mark that time and uh, and you may, maybe you go back to feeling pretty similar to how you did pre-death experience and or maybe you become a different kind of person, right? Exactly, yeah. right, because it's going to be so different for everyone and I think that can add to that uncertainty because there is no right way to grieve. There's no wrong way to grieve. So it's so hard for people who are in that place of feeling really floundering around, like, who am I going to be? How's this going to turn out? And they maybe come to group or they read books or they read blogs and they realize like everyone gets to chart their own course through this, this, these new waters that can feel very frightening. So when you say there's not a right way and not a wrong way, are you just hinting at the idea that this is part of being human, part of being a person? Yeah, and to, to recognize and to accept and to create some space for each person who is grieving their own unique reactions. And I think a lot of relief can come not so much from hearing like grief is something you take with you for the rest of your life and it changes and develops, but to be to say it's okay that you're feeling this craving for a recipe right now and it's okay that you're frustrated that there isn't one and just to make space for everyone's emotions can uh, loosen that up for some people to be like oh you mean it's been it's been six months it's okay that I'm still sad that my mom's not here yeah. and then they look around the room and they see a lot of heads nodding like yeah of course it's okay that you're still sad that your mom's not here and that can bring a lot of relief because people experience out in the world and oftentimes experience at work with friends, just in the general community, this idea that you have to hurry up and get over this because it's hard for us to see you being sad. It's hard for us to experience you as you are now grieving. And we, we miss the old you. So when are you going to come back? Yeah. So people learn to kind of squirrel away their, their grief and their reactions and not talk about it with people. Wow. So do you think that people feel like they're putting on a mask for the benefit of other people? Yeah, I would imagine. We've heard so many metaphors of how people describe that turning it on and off like a switch or uh, moving in and out of the the presentation that they have and how that can be really tiring for people to have to move in and out. And then for other people, they can almost find it comforting. Like they can go to work and they put on their work face and they can be productive and take a break from their grief for a little while too. It's almost, I don't know, you didn't say this, but it reminds me of myself. Sometimes, you know, I feel like I'm at, when I'm at work or I'm in some other context, some specific context where I'm not just lounging in a hammock, right? And I have to focus on a thing at hand and whatever other distractions are in the back of my mind, I kind of have to stuff them down. It sounds like that. But sometimes for me, my experience has been, then that stuff pops up when I don't want it to, like at the wrong times. You know, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Do you hear about that kind of thing happening? Yeah, people talk about it as... Um... They've used so many different terms to describe like the uh, sneaky grief attack or uh, transitory sadness. There's all kinds of wording that people use. You know, sometimes I think it might be part of that piece of, you know, I was at school all day. I had to really focus. I didn't have a chance to even make any space for thoughts about my mom. So they all 
piled up and then it hit me as I was walking home from school. Or maybe it's getting close to the anniversary date or to another significant date uh, related to that person and their relationship. And the body might start to remember before the consciousness even Mm. catches up. So someone might say, yeah, I've been really tired and cranky lately. It's been going on for about a week. And I looked at my calendar and I realized my mom's birthday is next week. I can't believe my body started to remember before my brain even knew that's what was happening. I mean, I guess we all mark time against significant events in different ways, right? How else do we do that? I mean, birthdays you talked about? Birthdays, um, you know, we just got through the holiday season. Yeah. That can be a really big one for people. But there can be just days and times that as people come to group and talk about, they make sense of like, oh, you know, I didn't even realize that when the weather starts to change, I'm reminded so much of my dad because yeah. he went into the hospital right as spring was starting two years ago. So it can be a really hard time for me because everyone else is getting excited. The sun's coming out. It's getting warmer. The flowers are blooming. And that can sometimes throw me right back to being in the hospital when spring was happening. Um, or for other people, it might be an unexpected, really uh, reassuring and comforting memory of You know, when we get close to July 4th, it brings back so many fun memories I had with my dad. We always went to the beach and we always lit fireworks. Yeah. So those traditions would be a place where people would mark time, I suppose. Big life things like job changes or adding family members. All of those things can be opportunities for for the grief to reassert itself or for people to work through it again in a different way. And, And that's where oftentimes we hear people getting frightened, like, oh, I just didn't you know, I'm grieving now because I am planning on buying my first house and my brother's not here to be part of that. If only I had grieved better or harder for him at the beginning, then I wouldn't feel this now. And so much of the work that we're doing is letting people know, like, it's okay. You didn't have to grieve harder at the beginning. You were grieving as much as you possibly could. There's no like uh, set point so that you don't grieve in the future. And I think that's where people can get almost tricked in a sense of thinking, if I just do enough now, I won't have to do any later. But I often think about the dishes. You know, you do all the dishes and then the next day there's more dishes to do. It's not like you can get them all done and never do them again. And it's perfectly normal and natural to revisit the people in your life that you love who are not here physically when you're going through uh, different changes in your life, both positive and negative. That is a, uh, a great overview. I'm curious as I, as I think about, you know, time here on the podcast, how about uh, we talk, maybe jump topics over to uh, anything interesting you've been, you've seen online lately or read lately? Anything you want to talk about there? Well, what's interesting is as we were getting ready for this podcast and thinking about the idea of the grief timeline, there was an article that just came out. I think it was just this weekend. Uh, it was a New York Times opinion blog by Patrick O'Malley. He's a psychotherapist in Fort Worth, Texas, and he just wrote a blog about a woman who had come to see him who was trying to get her grief right. And through the course of their work together, discovering that she had pushed aside so much the grief that she was experiencing about the death of her daughter uh, in her quest to kind of just get back to normal, get back to work and to function. And she felt so many emotions, so much guilt and shame about the sadness, the profound sadness she had. And in their therapeutic relationship, just the space that got created for her to express that sadness helped to break things open in a new way for her. And so much of, I think, people who are grieving, it's there's the 
the wound itself, the experience of the person dying. And then there's all the things that get layered on top of I should, or I shouldn't, or I wish, or I didn't, or so other people expect me to. It just adds these layers of suffering. And while when people come to a group or reach out for support for grief, there's nothing that anyone can do to take away the pain that the someone died. But there are things we can do, hopefully, to lighten that those additional layers of suffering of the expectations that people have for themselves. Yeah, or that they, like you mentioned, they, they believe other people have of them as well. Right, or that people have explicitly said to them. Yeah. There was, I remember many years ago, a, a young woman in one of our groups, and she had just hit the year mark of her dad's death. And she had her own personal expectations, like, oh, things are going to suddenly get better because it's a year and then she realized like, oh, things are different. But yeah, I still miss my dad and I still have really hard days and I have great days and not so great days. And she was out with some friends and they said to her, so it's been a year. Are you going to stop playing the dead dad card? Because we're kind of tired of it. Oh, yeah. And, you know, she was able to come to group and get that like, are you kidding? We can't believe they said that. But for so many people, they're experiencing that on their own and trying to wade through like that was a pretty explicit uh, expectation from her friends that did not match up with what was her reality. We will have a link to that. Did you say it was a New York Times article? Yeah, New York Times Opinionator blog. Okay, I'll we'll find that link and we'll put it in the show notes. Dougie.org, that's D-O-U-G-Y dot O-R-G slash podcast. We're keeping all our episodes there. All of the show notes on each episode are there. So so look for this one. This is 001. Jenna, is there anything you want to leave with? Any, uh, like, sum it up about the mythology well, of timelines? Yeah, I was thinking a lot about how the, you know, the stages of grief that we, that were created in 1969 have set up this um, straight line, linear expectation progression for grief that we do step one, then we do step two, and we do step three, and that each time we're moving upward and getting better, whatever better might mean to people. And in our groups over the years, we've created a new image for what the progression after someone dies might look like. And it seemed like the, the idea of a spiral staircase mm. resonates more for people because you're you're continuing to move. You're taking steps forward and you're moving up, but sometimes it feels like you're moving forward and sometimes it feels like you're circling back for those times when people say, you know, I was doing really well. And then suddenly I feel like I got pulled back into the vortex of the first day yeah. and it's like, it's nothing's changed. And people get so scared that it was just an illusion that they were doing well in their lives and, and moving forward and to have that reassurance, like it's okay. You're just circling back around and revisiting with some new awarenesses and new skills and can, you'll, it'll feel like you're moving forward again. Yeah. And that can bring some relief and some, some ease for people. That's a good metaphor. I, I, can, I can envision that, you know, walking around that spiral staircase and seeing some, as you make movement, you see some new landscapes and then you see some really familiar landscapes and you, as you keep on moving. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that sometimes spiral staircases can be, you know, kind of exciting, taking you to someplace new you haven't been before. And sometimes they can be a little disorienting and unnerving and you have to slow down and grab the wall and hang on to the handrail yeah. and to know that grief can involve all of those experiences. That's good. Well, we're about out of time on this one. Thank you for chatting. It's always good to talk to you. Thanks, Brendan. I look forward to uh, our next episode, I think, will be hopefully taking some questions from the community. Oh, yeah. Good. Getting to the things that matter the most to them. Yep. Right on. All right. See you later, Jenna. Take care, Brendan. 
Thanks for listening.